acquainted with our sorrow to trade the debt we owe your suffering for our freedom the Father, thank you so much for your gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that we celebrate and come to worship today. We pray that you will help us to be aware of your spirit with us in our worship. and May we give you glory in all that we do in this time together, and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. There are a lot of things happening in the life of the church. You see a number of those in the bulletin. Uh, the uh, Wednesday night activities, Thursday is this the last week for our prayer event. And if you haven't yet had a chance to come to one of the corporate prayer gatherings, I encourage you to do so uh, at noon, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. Uh, on this Thursday. Uh, you'll also notice a couple of inserts in your bulletin about things that the youth group are doing, uh, Easter breakfast and 30-hour famine. And uh, there are a number of other uh, things going on, and we encourage you to participate as much as possible. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and uh, assist us as we give our tithes and offerings.
seated if you'd like to come and offer your prayers at the altar rail please come and join me Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us to come to you in prayer. 
for calling us to lay all of our burdens and concerns and struggles at your feet with the assurance that you hear us and that you are at work in us. Father, we pray for your grace upon all who are struggling today with the difficulties that come to us in this world. We pray for the Roskies in their time of grief and sorrow and we pray, pray for the family, friends of Priscilla Reese Waltz as well. We know that you are with them and that you are at work in their hearts. We pray that you will comfort them in their grief and sorrow, that you will minister to their aching, burdened hearts and souls. Father, we pray that you will heal all of our diseases through the grace and power of who you are. We pray that you will give hope and courage and healing strength to Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, to Vesta Mullen and Bruce Brenneman, to Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, to Linda Roth and Dick Gould, to Tim Nichols, Isla Shea and Edna Howard, and to Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for all who are wrestling with difficulties of body, mind, soul, and spirit. Father, we continue to pray for all who are living with the effects of the Ebola virus. We pray that you will bring an end to the suffering. We pray that you will bring comfort and healing, especially to those who have endured so much hardship in the last few years. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Syria as they pray to live in a country where there is no war. Hear their prayers and ours. We pray, Father, that you will work miraculously in this country and in many other countries where the norm seems to be war and violence and persecution and oppression. Father, we pray that you will help your people to be catalysts to overcome those who oppose them, not by being stronger, not by being more powerful, but by being more vulnerable, more trusting of you, by revealing more and more of you in their lives. And Father, we pray that you will help us in the same way. And whatever difficulties and opposition we may face, give us grace to respond with love and compassion and trust of you. Father, open our eyes to your presence with us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we give ourselves to you. We ask all of this through the mercy of Christ who goes to the cross for us and leaves for us the model of prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. After the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for children's church, and there is no junior church this morning. Following the tradition of the church, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel, if you are able to do so. 
They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Bless 
As we've been talking over the last few weeks about uh, this, this scene of Jesus praying in the garden, there are a number of things about this image that Mark paints for us that surprise me. Mark seems to give us the, um, I don't know, some people would describe it as the, the darkest view, image of Jesus as he prays. It's very honest. It's, it's, in fact, brutally honest as Jesus pours out his heart to the Father about what is about to happen. And, and the honesty of Jesus uh, is a little bit surprising. He's not afraid to tell the Father what he's thinking, what he wants, what he desires. But one of the elements of this, this scene and this prayer that, that continues to amaze me is that here is Jesus the Son of God, praying to the Father about what he wants, brutally honest about it. And when it's boiled down, when we get to the end of it, Jesus doesn't get what he asks for. His prayer is, Father, could this cup be taken from me? And it isn't. And you, and you wonder, how does Jesus respond to that? How would you respond to that? How do I respond to that? Not would, but how do we? Right? Because we all have times where we pray prayers to God, earnest, deep prayers, the passion of our hearts, what we would love for God to do, and it doesn't happen the way we want it to. What does that do to us? I know people, you probably know people, who have given up on God because prayers they prayed haven't turned out the way they wanted them to. And I think that speaks to our understanding of prayer and the attitude in which we come to prayer. I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about with prayer. I mean, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes of books have been written about prayer. And we're continually discovering more and more, trying to figure it out, trying to understand it, because it is so mysterious. But one of the, one of the, the things that is not all that difficult to understand about prayer is that the attitude in which we come to God in prayer... Is, should be boldness, should be honesty, it should be, we should be praying as courageously and openly as possible. But underlying that, that all of the prayers we pray is this spirit, this attitude that we see in Jesus, who in his brutal honesty comes back to this phrase, not my will, but yours be done. And there is in that, in that short, brief phrase, this attitude of surrender, or some refer to it, relinquishment. That is, 
at the base, at the heart of every prayer we pray, no matter what we're praying. Now, sometimes that feels like a cop-out. You know, we, we want to pray these, these great prayers that God would do the miraculous, and then we put this tag on the end of it just to sort of give us a way out if God doesn't do what we want. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about an escape clause to our prayers. We're talking about an attitude, a spirit that every prayer we pray has underneath it this mindset of surrendering, relinquishing to God. And it's, it really becomes not just an attitude of prayer, but an attitude of life. What it means to live as followers of Jesus. That will mean that in our prayers and in our life, this idea of surrender means that we are relinquishing our rights. I've come to the place that seems almost seems to me that, that every time I hear someone talk about Christian rights, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I think that's an oxymoron. I mean, it certainly seems to be with Jesus. I mean, I mean you, look at, you look at what Jesus does, how he gives up his rights. I mean, he has the, all the rights in the world to, to take everything he wants. And he continually keeps letting it go, giving it away. And even in this moment, in this moment in the garden where he says, Father, isn't there another way to accomplish all that you want me to do? He's not, he's not trying to get out of being the redeemer of the world. I think he's simply saying, Father, isn't there another way than taking all the guilt of the sins of the world upon me? All that is ahead of me. Isn't there another way to accomplish the purposes that we both want? But in the end... My life is surrendered to you. So whatever you think is best, that's what I'll do. I was thinking about that idea, that concept, and various places in my own life where that has been a prayer that I have had to come to. And, and one of the most profound moments for me was responding to what I knew was the call of God in my life to enter into full-time ministry. You know, I've said to you before, you know, I grew up in a, in a family of, of ministers. You know, it's kind of the family business. I think I was the 11th person in my family to become a minister when I did. And, you know, it was the expectation. And people would ask me as a child, so what are you going to do when you grow up? Are you going to be a minister like your dad? And I, I usually would say, I don't know. Inside I was saying, are you out of your mind? That is the last thing I want to do. I want to be a Christian, you know. I mean, you know, because the alternative isn't so great. But, you know, I, you know, I want to be a Christian but I don't want to be that much of a Christian. You know, I, I, I want to have weekends free. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I, I want God. I just want God on my terms. I want God the way I want him. And, and as I entered college, and God worked out some miraculous things to get me to the right school. But as I entered college, I spent the first year and a half... As, as an undeclared major because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do because in the back of my mind, there was this prompting of calling to ministry. And so I tried everything I could think of that I had any interest in. And every time I kept failing. Every time I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. There were some professors who affirmed that this is not the right thing for you to do. <laughs> Believe me. Nobody wants you to be an accountant. No, no one. And, until eventually, I can still remember the morning, kneeling at the couch in the apartment where I lived and saying, okay, Lord, I surrender. And that was the turning point of 
my life. And it was, it was, took time to get to that. But in that moment, there was this sense of relinquishing God on my terms. And instead, deciding my life was going to be on his terms. Now, from that moment, there have been all kinds of other things that I've had to do that with. And we'll continue to have to do that with because it is a part of living as a follower of Jesus. But there are those moments when our prayers, we come to this apex, this crisis moment. And we have to decide, as Lewis says, you know, in the end, two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. And we see Jesus here in the garden pouring out his heart in prayer. But underlying his prayer is my life, everything about it, whatever happens is surrendered, relinquished to the Father. It's always a choice that we have. God never forces us to surrender to him. He will prompt us. He will lead us. He will bring people into our lives who will help us to see. He will allow circumstances in our lives that will help us to, to, to hopefully move in that direction. But ultimately, we have to decide. Is my life going to be about my agenda and trying to convince God to come on board with me? Or about his agenda? And surrendering, relinquishing our rights, our ease, our comfort, our convenience for him. See, it, it, it comes down to the kind of God that we are relinquishing ourselves to. See, the reality is, and I don't think we often like to talk about this, But the reality is, quite frankly, God can be demanding. God can be demanding. In fact, he is demanding. He wants our lives, all of our lives, every part of our lives, every nook and cranny of our lives, everything. And we rebel against that because we want to go our own way, want to do our own thing. So often, our, our subconscious prayer, because we don't usually say this out loud, but our subconscious prayer is, Father, my will be done, not yours. And he is continually prompting us, moving us, quite frankly, demanding of us, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, to come to the place where we say, not my will, but yours be done. And at some point, we have to come to see that we are surrendering ourselves not to the kind of God who wants our lives so that he can twist them and squeeze them, but the kind of God who loves us. You know, Jesus starts this prayer saying, as we talked a few weeks ago, Abba, Father. And that is so foundational to the decision to surrender. To understand that we are surrendering to our loving Heavenly Father. That changes everything. When you look back at the look back in the Old Testament and the Israelites and their struggle with worshiping the gods of the nations around them. And you move that, that time, that, those ideas and that story into the, the era of the New Testament. And as Jesus looks and watches the people around him and the way they view God, there is this underlying sense that their image of God is, is of a being who's not interested in their best. He's not interested in what might be good for them or best for them. He doesn't want what is best for us. 
And one of the messages that Jesus is trying to help people understand is that at the heart of who God is, is that he wants what is best for those he's created. He wants what's best for his creatures. And until we come to understand that, until we come to see that, we will always wrestle to surrender to what he wants for us. Because somewhere back in our minds, and this was my struggle, I know, is that we wrestle, we're wrestling to believe that God's will, God's desires for us, God's passion and plan for us, God's demands upon us are in our best interests. And so when we say that God is demanding, it's not that God is demanding the way a tyrant is demanding. He is demanding in the way that a loving parent is demanding of their children. See, we want what we want because we think it's fun to play in the middle of the road and not pay attention to the traffic. And what feels like demands as our parents yell at us, punish us, grab us out of the middle of that is one of the most loving things in the world they could do for us. And so often it's because of our warped view of who God is, what God wants for us, that we, are, we keep thinking, what I want for my life is better than what God wants for my life. And Jesus is giving us this model of prayer that's been a part of his life is, to, is because he understands that the plan of the Father is exceedingly better than any plan we could ever come up with. And yes, sometimes that will mean sacrifice and burden and struggle. In fact, it will almost always mean that. It will, we feel vulnerable. We feel, we, we feel as if things are a little bit out of control. And in those moments, are we going to trust that though we may feel out of control, God is not. And that it's always safe to trust him. It may mean that we're going to face some difficulties and some struggles. It probably will. It may mean that we face some, some great risks for the sake of other people. But the risk is always worth it. The surrender is always worth it. Because it's Abba, Father. We're surrendering to. I read a few years back a story that Richard Foster tells of. He had a friend who lived in a town quite a distance from where he was who kept asking him to come and do uh, a spiritual retreat for her and some of the colleagues she worked with. And uh, he kept putting her off. You know, he, he knew the place where she lived. There were lots of people who could do a retreat about prayers of inner healing and, and how God worked in that. But she kept badgering him. And finally he said to her, look, you go home and you, you don't, tell, don't say anything to anyone but God. And if in the next week or so, six people ask you about doing this and me coming, then I'll do it. And he says, you know, I really wasn't trying to, to, uh, to see if God was on board with this. I just figured... What six people could possibly want me to do this? It was just a way of getting out of it. He said, a week later, she called and said, I haven't said a word to anyone. I've just been praying. I've had 12 people say to me, could you get him to come? He said, I was stuck. Okay, so I consented. So we met at my friend's house. There were 15 social workers, people that she worked with. And uh, as they got started on this weekend... One of the gentlemen in the group said, um, I'm just going to ask, I want you guys, I'm not one of you, so be gentle with me. 
And it was his way of letting them know he wasn't a believer. And they were very gracious in their response to him. So it was, it was a really powerful weekend. They really felt the, the presence and the spirit of God on them. And so much so that when they came to Sunday afternoon, that same gentleman said to the group, would you pray with me that I might know Jesus the way you know Jesus? And Foster said they all sat there in this circle, not exactly sure what to do to help him because it just felt like the, the normal responses weren't quite exactly right. So they sat there in silence, just praying. And then another man in the group got up and he walked over and he put his hands on this gentleman's shoulders and he began to pray. And Foster says, it was, it was such a powerful moment. He said, I, I felt like we were on holy ground. What was so interesting is that he began to pray a television commercial. So he began to pray and describe this television commercial where people are out sweltering in the sun and, and just you know, so hot and exhausted from it. And it was, one, it was that Nest Tea commercial where the people take a glass of tea in the sweltering heat and they begin to drink it and they just fall back into a swimming pool of water. And as they're falling back... Every one of them, And this man began to pray that this gentleman would just fall back like that into the arms of Jesus. And this man began to weep and sob. And they found out later that that image touched something deep in him that took him all the way back to his baptism as a little child. And his life was changed. And Foster says that is the image that comes to his mind when he thinks about the attitude, the prayer of relinquishment, of surrender. It's not just for this one moment of when we may open our hearts to Christ, but it's all of the moments of life that we trust God enough, that we believe that God is good, that his intentions and his desires for us are awesomely good, that we can just fall back into his arms fall back into his loving embrace and know that it is always the right thing to do. As we come to this table this morning, this table, all that it symbolizes, all that it communicates, all that it means to us is maybe brought down into a nutshell. is calling us to surrender, to relinquish ourselves to the one who relinquished everything for us. We are here. We are made new. We can know God because Jesus went to the cross and Jesus goes to the cross because in the garden... He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so as we come this morning to this table, we're going to take just a a couple of moments of silence. Maybe there's something this morning that you're wrestling with and you're sensing God is prompting you to relinquish it to him, to surrender it to him. This is the moment to do just that. And then to come to this table in gratitude and in joy and in the spirit of surrender of our lives to the one who surrendered all for us.
Father, we thank you that Jesus surrendered, relinquished, not just in the garden, but throughout his whole life. We pray that you will give us such a a vision, an understanding of who you are, that we might surrender ourselves to you as well. Father, maybe for some of us, there is a particular issue that this morning we want to surrender to you. Give us grace and courage to do that. Maybe it's, it's simply a renewal this morning that our lives are surrendered to you, that we are relinquishing all that we are into your loving hands. Give us grace and courage to do that. Father, as we come to this table, we pray that you'll pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup. May they be food and drink for our hungry, thirsty souls. As we eat and drink, Help us to know your loving kindness, your mercy, your grace. And fill us with your peace, your joy, through the grace of Christ Jesus. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I'm going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It means to dip in and so as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar's always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, if you simply prefer, we do have a trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. And if uh, you would like those, just let me know as you come to the front. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here with us. But if you come today with your heart your mind, your spirit, open to Christ with the desire to surrender yourself to him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, merciful Heavenly Father. Just love is this. life. 
Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. You are my Savior, I owe everything to. Take all the treasures that lie in my storehouse. They cannot alter when I enter your house. So
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.